Hey, what's good? This video is sponsored by TheLabs.com. TheLabs is basically a platform that makes owning the rights to your work as easy as file sharing and writing lyrics. TheLabs is a collaborative workspace that provides automated tracking, rights management, and protection of your music files during and after you create. Backed by blockchain, store your music and share securely with The Labs. So whether you're an inspiring writer or a seasoned vet, The Labs is the safest way to collaborate and share your music. Create, collab, and protect with The Labs. Go check it out, folks. Yo, what's good? My name is Reginald, aka The R Star, aka Mr. Straight Fire. And this is Unabashed Reggie. Looks back, celebrates the Marshall Mathers LP 20 years later. Today we're talking about the biggest rap album of all time, the Marshall Mathers LP, because this year it is the 20th anniversary. Yes, this classic was released on May 23rd, 2000. Eminem's second major label album following the Slim Shady LP. For those who don't know, LP simply stands for long playing or long play, as opposed to an EP, which stands for extended play. Basically, LP means a full length album. Although there were no prior Marshall Mathers EP, M kept LP in the title for continuation. The Slim Shady LP brought Eminem to the world, but this album, he went from, oh yeah, that dope white rapper, to Eminem, the megastar. Similar to my Slim Shady LP video, go check it out by the way, I'm gonna talk about the production, the lyrical content, the controversy, the singles, and of course, its lasting legacy and impact on the culture. And speaking of singles, I had the opportunity to talk to Tommy Coster Jr. He was a keyboardist for Dr. Dre in that era, and he's the co-writer of the Real Slim Shady song so if you want to hear the story how we came up with it go check out the interview because it's live right now before we do that here's a shout out to my five dollar level patreon supporters paul carter kathy Ferrar, alexander rivera brett r abram jean-pierre vaillancourt pedro rodriguez nolan austin and damien lafontaine now this is a lengthy video so sit back relax grab a six pack and kick back while i kick those marshall mothers lp facts let's go there's more music to make, keep making new shit, produce hits to break. They always say you have your whole life to do your first album. Granted, the Slim Shady LP wasn't his actual first studio album, but in some ways it was. So to think that the Marshall Mathers LP only took one year to make is mind-blowing. The album was recorded from 1999 to 2000, and according to the book The Dark Story of Eminem, they recorded most of the album in a two-month stretch with studio session that lasted sometimes 20 hours. But the one song that was recorded outside of that period was Kim. Actually, it was recorded in late 1998, shortly after he finished the Slim Shady LP. Fun fact, it was written while the couple were on a break, and Kim was originally meant to be a love song, but he didn't want to do a lovey-dovey song, so he went the absolute opposite. The Slim Shady LP was mostly recorded prior to M being with Dr. Dre, so this was the first time that from start to finish, Dre was involved. Yet, the production was still split between Dre and the Bass Brothers. Dre, along with Mel Man, contributed six tracks, notably the Real Slim Shady, I'm Back, and Kill You, which I'll talk a little bit more later. Dre's style is a little more stripped down, sounds more crisp and clean, and it's more bass-driven. In contrast, the Bass Brothers production is more grittier, but more melody-driven, and along with Eminem, they contributed to seven songs, notably Marshall Mathers, Kim, and Criminal. And there's only one outside producer. That would be the 45 King who produced the highlight of this album, which is Stan. Later on, when I'll talk about the singles, I'll give more info on the song. Skits were an important part of the Slim GDLP, and they return here. There's another public service announcement, and if you didn't know, the person doing the announcement is Jeff Bass from the Bass Brothers. 
Ken Kniff makes a return as well, but this time it's actually performed by Eminem. In the original, it was performed by Detroit Underground rapper Aristotle, but they had a conflict, him and Eminem. So that's why this time it's Eminem, and from this album and on, it was Slim. Then you have Steve Berman, who makes his first appearance on an Eminem album, but it isn't his first appearance. In fact, Steve Berman made an appearance in the Fuck With Dre Day video. Also, Steve Berman is actually a real person who holds a very important title at Interscope. Since its inception, Steve has been working under Jimmy Iovine and works in the day-to-day -day marketing and sales. Now let's talk a little more about Eminem style on this album. Eminem style is more aggressive and his all-around delivery feels perfected. Here's what he said in his book Angry Blonde. After the Marshall Mathers LP, I upgraded everything. Flow, rhyme character, and the whole shebang. When I listen to my songs now, I'll stress myself thinking I could have spit that line better, I should have done that vocal over, I should have done that verse over. And to me, that shows. I've always felt that as great as the Slim Shady LP is, a lot of songs, M's delivery lacks some finesse, but on the Marshall Mathers LP, his flow is more polished and way more diverse than on the Slim Shady LP. It's with this album that the people started to give credit to M for how he could flow. It felt like every song was different, from Kill You, then to Stan, then to Never Who Knew, then The Way I Am, which is a unique flow, then to the real Slim Shady, song after song, it gave you a different style and focused more on how his voice sounded on each track. Most rappers have one style or two and gave you multiple styles on this album, plus he became a better hit writer. His hooks are more catchy this time around and more developed for the most part. So when you combine the aggression and full diversity, the great hooks, I think it makes it the most energetic and dynamic Eminem solo album. All in all, with Dre overseeing the project from the beginning, Eminem growing as an MC in the recording booth, the production on this album is a major upgrade to the Slim Shady LP. My lyrical content is constantly undefined. No wonder why constantly His lyrical style changed on this album. He moved away from the battle-style punchlines to punchlines that are more about saying shocking things in a way that has never been said before. And quite frankly, the lyrical content felt more mature and more personal. So that's why I think it's called the Marshall Mathers LP, because it has less of Slim Shady and more from Marshall Mathers' personal life. And the lyrics feel less cartoony and more realistic this time around, probably because it's more Eminem than Shady. In an interview with MTV, M said, Eminem is the rapper, Slim Shady will kill you, Marshall Mathers is the person behind the whole mask. So the way I see it on this album, it's Eminem telling the life story of Marshall Mathers, hence the Marshall Mathers LP. The driving theme of this album is without a doubt, fame. Most songs are all tied in a way to his new fame. Slim Shady LP, selling over 4 million copies in the US, took him from a boring normal life to superstardom. And did you know that until the Marshall Mathers LP dropped, Eminem was still flying coach, meaning not in first class in front of the plane. Isn't that insane? So the struggle with this new fame is omnipresent in this album. Here's what Eminem said in an interview with Dave Fanning. And it's really easy, it's so easy to, uh, to get caught up in this game and become addicted to drugs, become a fucking alcoholic, make your life go completely out of control. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because shit happens so fast. You're seeing so many different people around you, so many different faces. Everybody's got a new face. Sure. Yeah. And so many people around you, you don't know what the fuck is going on. And that's for anybody who, who gets in this game, this entertainment business, what I mean by game, and, and just um, and blows up and becomes a success in it. The hardest part, is the first year at least so for that first year i mean speaking for myself i didn't know what the fuck was going on i just it just seemed like a blur to me when i look back on it i'm just like you know 
Like, wow, that's some crazy shit. There's shit that I see now that, you know, myself on TV a year ago, year and a half ago, that I'm like, I don't even remember doing that interview. And you know, the Slim Shady LP had songs about being broke, like Rock Bottom or If I Had. The latter is interesting because he wished he had a million dollar, and now that he got more, he realizes it's not like he imagined. I went through more in the past year than I went through in my whole life as far as like my life changing from what I, I was normally used to. to I'm saying the last record was a lot of talking about me being broke and not having no money and this and that. And now this album is talking about I've got money and it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And that's why he chose to open the album with Kill You and the lines, they said I can't rap about being broke no more. They said I can't rap about coke no more. Songs like Who Knew and I'm Back addresses the influence that his music now has because of its popularity. Following the same idea, Stan is a reflection on how extreme his fandom could get. But on the song Marshall Mathers is the impact of his fame on the music industry and his personal life. Then The Way I Am is about the struggle of dealing with fans, but also now having to meet expectations from the label because they expect even more sales since now he's famous. Of course, it wouldn't be an Eminem album if he didn't talk about his personal life. As I mentioned, throughout the album we hear a lot from Eminem slash Marshall's perspective, but it all boils down to the title track, Marshall Mathers. What I love the most about this track is his calmness. That makes it feel more intimate. When you, you're listening to that song, you really feel like he's telling his life story directly to you. This song addresses personal things like dealing with the lawsuit of his mom or how his family now treats him and how a magazine like XXL, XXL writes about him. Now, I would say that drugs are a little less present on this album, but that subject is represented with the song Drug Ballad, which kind of feels like a sequel to Come On Everybody, which is also the 13th track on the album and also featuring Dina Ray, aka Track 13 Girl. Something else that comes often in this album is pop music. Because of his fame, because he was white, because he was, his music was playing in non-hip-hop station, people wanted to label him as a pop artist. But Eminem always wanted to be respected and looked at as a true MC. His authenticity, it's everything to him, that's his credibility. In an interview with Vulture back in 2017, he said, The reason that I went at pop stars back then is because people were calling me a pop rapper. What's bugged out to me is that I don't know if everybody understands this. If everybody could do what I did, they'd just do it, wouldn't they? I'm not this manufactured pop thing, and I never was. The way people used to dismiss me was to call me pop. I got mad about that, and I lashed out. Now, here's a 2000 Ozone interview where he talks about his disdain and reason for dissing boy bands. A few of the boy bands. Right. Why? What have they done to you, Eminem? Yo, these guys are herbs. <laughs> the music is corny. It sucks. It's it's not everybody is that happy. Wee! You know, and let's 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 sing about my broken heart and um, it's tearing me apart. <laughs> to be honest, it's 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 so out of hand. It's so ridiculous that it makes me sick to my stomach. So I figured I would voice my opinion about it. Back in 2000, Vorbenz were very trendy. He voiced his hatred for them on the Marshall Mathers, but he also hated the trend in hip hop where all people did was talk about their jewelry and money when he said, in the midst of all this Chris pop and in wrist watches, I just sit back and just watch and just get nauseous with Chris being Crystal Champagne. So you see, before Eminem was taking an ax to mumble rap, he was also voicing his opinion about rappers who only talked about materialistic things. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So to be set apart from pop artists, he gave himself a mission to embody the role of a villain and asshole, and that role, I think he succeeded in fulfilling. Eminem wanted to offend people with this album. He wanted to create an even more controversy, and that leads me to the F word, and I'm not talking about fuck, but the slur against gay people. 
Eminem is not homophobic. He said it many times. Here's M explaining why he used it so freely in his album. When my first album came out and I made a reference, I think I might have used the word faggot or I might have said um, something about a gay person and people took it out of text and started saying, calling me homophobic. So I was like, what are they talking about? I'm not, it, it, I, just because I said the word faggot doesn't mean I'm homophobic. Okay, I'm homophobic then. I'm gonna be whatever, I am whatever you say I am. And in his autobiography, The Way I Am, he also says that when he had to change the original lyrics to My Name Is because they were deemed homophobic, it warped him into the F word zone. I remember feeling so boxed in, like I really had to watch everything I say. I got tired of explaining myself. So with the Marshall Mathers LP, I just went into the zone, like on purpose, like fuck you. Furthermore, remember in Criminal 8, the answer's yes. That was clearly just to piss people off because actually for him, as mentioned in his book, that word had nothing to do with sexual preferences. It meant more like dickheads or assholes. So with Eminem wanting to offend people but maturing in his lyrics in some way, where does that leave the Slim Shady character? I think with this album, the lines between Slim Shady and Eminem are being blurred. Like in the aforementioned Criminal, Kill You, Remember Me, these songs have the violence and craziness of Slim Shady, but they reference things from Eminem's personal life, like in Remember Me, when he talks about his mom, and writing Bonnie and Clyde. It's basically Eminem not hiding behind the Slim Shady persona. I used to, I used to use Slim Shady as an excuse, but now, um, the older I get and the more mature I get, I guess if you could consider me mature at all, um, I believe that I am maturing and my music is maturing. Um, Eminem and Slim Shady have just become more of an entertainment name to me than anything. I don't look at it like I really divide up the personalities or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I don't really do that anymore. Now on Criminal, which is pure shady with the bank robbery, but at the end, the message comes straight from Marshall. Half the shit I say, I just make it up to make you mad. And I think that's why he closed the album with Criminal. And also closed Kill You with, I'm just playing ladies, you know I love you. He wants to shock people and trigger people on purpose, but he also wants his fans to know that he says this shit just clowning, dog. All in all, his lyrical content is more personal, more aggressive, and when he tells stories, they feel less fictitious than on the Slim Shady LP. Plus, the controversial lyrics seems more aimed at specific groups like women, gay people, and boy girl groups. And to me, this album is peak Eminem. The image he created with this album will always be the image associated with him. Crazy lyrics, incredible rhyming, incredible rapping. This album is the most controversial Eminem album to this day. This album labeled him a misogynist and a homophobe. You know in Cleaning Out My Closet, when he rapped, I've been protested and demonstrated against picket signs for my wicked rhymes, look at the times. That actually happened a few times, but most notably outside the Grammy Awards in 2001. Both GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and now National Organization of Women were protesting outside the event. The demonstration was organized to express outrage over the legitimization of Eminem by the Grammys. That year, he was nominated for four Grammys, including Album of the Year, which he didn't win. But one reason why the gay community was even more outraged was because whom Eminem was performing with that night, Sir Elton John, one of the biggest singers of all time. Oh, and he's gay too. Jokingly, Emmett said to his team it would be crazy to perform with Elton John. Elton was reached out to, and he accepted. Em's idea was to shock people and ultimately bring them together. That performance is easily one of his biggest in his career, and from this crazy idea came a friendship for life. Indeed, Elton was an important part of Eminem's recovery. Elton was Em's sponsor as he was rehabbing, and they were speaking at least once a week during that time. And one final thing, 
Elton John wasn't the only person to come to his defense. Dave White, the editor of The Advocate, which is an LGBT interest magazine, had this to say. If you ask Gabe Ashew or me, then it logically follows that he also raped his own mother, killed his wife, and murdered his producer, Dr. Dre. If he's to be taken literally, then so is Britney Spears' invitation to hit me baby one more time. Well said, Dave. Now, not all the controversy came from his words. Dre also had some controversy himself. Here's the story behind Kill You. After Am came off the European tour in October 1999, he called Dr. Dre and said he needed new beats. Dre told him he didn't really have anything at the moment, but in the background, Am heard that and to Dre's surprise, Am told him, send me that shit. Am records it, and it becomes the opening song of the album, but here's the thing. That little riff, it was very similar to this one. That's Jacques Lussier's Pulsion song released in 1979. Dre sampled that, but it was never cleared, meaning he never got the permission to use it. Everything was fine until almost two years after the album was released in 2002. Jacques Lussier sued Eminem and his label for $10 million and also asked that the album sales to be stopped and all remaining copies be destroyed. He was right that the track was stolen, but destroying the copies, $10 million, get the fuck out of here. Eventually, this was settled out of court. A few people get this on this album, from Britney to NSYNC to even Will Smith, but M really had beef with two parties. First, Christina Aguilera. She gets the prawn of it in the real Slim Shady. See, him had serious beef with her because she put his personal life out there to the world, but let's hear the reason behind it from the man himself. First of all, like I never spoke her name. Like I never even would have thought about dissing her, but she had a little special call, What a Girl Wants. I've said this before, but I say it, I'll say it again. Because she said what well, she said, that she'll say it again. Okay, well, what she said was, Christina, so that we get this out and clear and you don't keep saying whatever it is I said so that you know what you said. When you was on MTV with your little special, What a Girl Wants, and you were gossiping with your little giggly-ass, airheaded friends, you said, I heard he's married. Isn't he married? You didn't know that for real. You didn't know that for definite. And you went on national TV and said that shit, talked about my personal business on national TV. So that's what you did. First of all, my name didn't belong in your fucking mouth. And if you wanted to pick my video, that's cool. But don't pick my video and sit there and fucking rag apart on it talking about, doesn't he have a song, Murder in it? I heard he mar he's married to the same girl that he's stuck in the trunk and da-da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Don't run, don't, don't run around talking about my personal business in the street. And I won't run around talking about your personal business in the street. Flat out. Two years later, in 2002, at the VMAs, after Christina presented M with the Best Male Video Award, they hugged it out backstage. Now, there's one thing I want to say about M dissing pop stars. Today, when M gets into a beef, people are really quick to say, oh, we never dissed anybody. All he did was diss pop stars. But the truth is, back then, everyone thought that Eminem was crazy for dissing pop stars because it wasn't something a normal rapper would do. Because doing that could alienate you from all the white kids who bought albums. So yeah, it's kind of funny that back then it was a big deal in the rap community, and now people be little slim for doing that. Anyways, moving on. The other major beef, excluding his mom, which is always present, was with the hip-hop duo Insane Clown Posse, composed of Shaggy Too Dope and Violent J. According to Violent J, when M did a release party for the Slim Shady EP, on the flyers it said, featuring appearances from Isham, Kid Rock, and ICP, maybe. So he confronted Eminem about it because he didn't get their approval. According to Violent J, M said, it says maybe. Maybe you will be there, I don't know, that's why I'm asking you right now. You guys coming to my release party or what? To which Jay replied, fuck no, I'm not coming. Now, there's probably some truth to that story, but here's the problem. 
This is the actual flyer and you can see it doesn't say ICP maybe. Now it does advertise them, but not the way Violent J recalled in their autobiography ICP Behind the Paint. So all this led to ICP making a parody song of My Name Is Called Slimanus. So that's why on this album, the Kankanif skit is used to make fun of ICP and then they get quite a few lines on Marshall Mathers. But just like with Christina, the beef was quashed. All credit goes to the late proof who organized a bowling game between D12 and ICP in 2005. Although M wasn't there, but still the beef is quashed. So with this album, M had beats with women groups, gay activists, pop stars, and rappers, but also he had trouble with the government. Yes, in September 2000, four months after the release of the album, Lynn Cheney, the wife of Vice President Dick Cheney, who got away with accidentally shooting a man while haunting, I digress, Lynn Cheney targeted Eminem at a U.S. Senate hearing investigating how violent imagery is presented to young people. Two years ago. He is a violent misogynist. He advocates raping and murdering his mother in one of his songs. He glories in the same song and the idea that he might murder any woman he comes across. She also recited the lyrics from Kill You in that hearing to prove her point. Now that must have been a very funny thing to see. So for that reason, in Without Me and White America on the next album, M would diss her. Another government M I had issues with was with my government, the Canadian government. Indeed, Canada based didn't want no part of him. Back in October 2000, him was set to perform in Toronto and Montreal for the anger management tour. But Attorney General Jim Flaherty did everything to stop Eminem from entering the country, stating that Eminem advocated violence against women, again using Kill You as an example. Other politicians even wanted to charge him with hate crime if he performed the song. Oh, Canada. But that was a failed attempt because M did perform as planned. But he only returned to Canada, Montreal, actually 11 years after that. And no, being a Canadian from Montreal, I did not get to see him live. Moving on. This was supposed to be my first single, but I just fucked that off so. Some say The Real Slim Shady, produced by Dr. Dre, is Eminem's best first single. I like Without Me more personally, but I can totally understand that. But coming up with The Real Slim Shady, finding that first single for this album wasn't easy. At first, Em and Dre thought that Who Knew, the second song recorded, would be the first single. Then they even thought that I'm Back would be a good choice for the first single. They presented both to Interscope, but Jimmy Iovine wasn't satisfied. He wanted another My Name Is. So back to the drawing board, M and Dre were scrambling. That hook, Hem had it for a while, but he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't even bring it up to Dr. Dre. So Slim is sitting on that hook because he writes hooks ahead of times most of the time, but he didn't think it was going to work. They were in the studio and tried four to five beats and nothing fit. So if you want to know the rest of the story, go check out the interview that I did with Tommy Coster Jr. But here's a snippet where he talks about that session when he created the real Slim Shady. I start flipping through sounds on a Triton and I come up with a harpsichord sound. If you listen to that melody, uh, right? Yeah. So I said, hey, Seagal, unmark, unmute my keyboard. And I start banging that out to the, to the, to the MPC beat. And M comes from behind his jacket and he's like, Tommy, keep playing that. That was on a Friday, M was meeting with the label Saturday, and believe it or not, the label wanted Criminal as a single, but Marshall really felt that he had something with the real Slim Shady beat, so we asked to give him a The weekend to write it. And he wrote it over the weekend, then recorded it on the next Monday, and the rest is history. <laughs> now here's a fun fact about the hook. You know how his voice goes, cause I'm Slim Shady, son. it was meant to sound like a chainsaw. And this song definitely topped My Name Is. My Name Is 
peaked at number 36 on the Billboard 100, but this Real Slim Shady peaked at number four, his biggest single to that point. The irony is that this song is meant to be an anti-mainstream song because he makes fun of all the candy pop cookie cutter music at the time, but it became his biggest single. And from that moment, he realized the formula that he needed to take which is a funny single to start it. So just like without me, then just lose it, and then we made you. The Way I Am, the second single. I'd say it's one of the most angriest Eminem song and also one of the realest song that he's ever made. The aggression comes from all the stress fame and critics brought to M, but what pushed him to the edge was the fact that when he wrote this, the label was asking for a first single. He spent a month trying to come up with a single. Actually, The Way I Am was presented to the label before the Real Slim Shady was. Without actually saying it, the label wanted another My Name Is, so M was under so much pressure. That's the reason why he said, I'm not gonna be able to top on My Name Is. That frustration came from a real place. Plus, he gave them this angry dark single when they wanted this light first single. That was his way of rebelling against the label. Here's a fact about the video. You know the scene where M throws a fit in a meeting? That was inspired by a real meeting that happened before the Slim Shady LP was released. Around that time, there was talk that M might get dropped from the label because the album was too controversial. Jimmy Iovine wanted lyrics changed, so M was mad, but the scene wasn't that dramatic according to M. It is the only song where M gets sole credit for production. In fact, he had the beats and piano loop all in his head. Then he asked one of the Bass Brothers to play the piano loop. And as he was taking a trip back to LA, he had the piano loop in his head. His goal was to do something different. That's how this flow came to life, because he wrote it to the piano. It was very important for him to follow the piano. So you know the breaks with the echo? That's to make sure he always stays with the piano. So brilliant. In my mind, it's one of the most inventive flows we've ever seen. Even the drum loop is special because that kick doesn't start on the first beat like 99% of rap or any genre song does. And obviously, I have to talk about the crazy rhyming pattern from the opening verse. And I would say that because of the rhyming and the flow, this is one of the most iconic opening verse in hip hop history. So I would argue that M has at least two, this and Lose Yourself. And finally, to prove my point, Back when the mic used to mean something, the Source magazine gave that verse the award of Hip Hop Quotable, meaning the best verse of the month. Classic. The third and final single, Stand, produced by the 45 King, will also produce Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life back in 1998. The song samples Dido's Thank You and has her on the hook, as you already know. Stand is simply my favorite song ever. When I die, just play that track on loop at my wake. Now I want to make a special video on Stan, not my typical breakdown, something a little bit more special. So I won't spend too much time on Stan. But I gotta say this, Stan is the most brilliantly written Eminem song. This song is, is his peak in my mind, and the fact that M says, bitch, I wrote Stan at the end of Walk on Water, if he sees this, he would agree. The way he was able to tell his story, do some character development, and all that with multi-rhymes, assonance, and alliterations is on the level of Shakespeare. Plus this song had a message that not everything needed to be taken literally by fans and that the relationship between a fan and an artist should not go above the enjoyment of the music and the respect for that said artist. The legacy of this song is something else. With the help of Nas and Ether, the word stand became a slang and then an actual word in the English language to define a crazy fan. And let's not forget that it launched the career of Dido. The video for Stan was directed by Philip G. Atwell, who directed most of Eminem's videos to that point. Stan is played by Devin Sawa, who got the part because of his performance in the movie Final Destination. And till this day, Devin is thankful for this opportunity. He tweeted the following on the 20th anniversary of the song. For me, one of the few projects that felt like I won the lottery to be a small part of. For a few days on stand, I was surrounded by some of the best in the business and I still feel extremely grateful.
Thanks, Em. I probably listened to that song 200 times before the video came out, and the video was exactly like I imagined. That tells you how amazing M is at storytelling. Six minutes and 40 seconds of pure, amazing, legendary greatness. But before moving on, here's two interesting facts on Stan. First, you know when he says, I hope you can't sleep and you dream about it, but then on the live performance with Elton, he said, I hope that you go to sleep and you dream about it. Well, he simply made a mistake when he recorded it. Here's the Stan lyric sheet. As you can see here, it says, go to sleep. And second thing about that verse, that third verse, turns out we ended up with a lesser version. When he was recording that verse, he was working with a new engineer who had just smoked weed. And recorded the whole verse and messed up the last three lines. So we asked to just re-record the last three lines, but that stone engineer rewinded the tape all the way to the beginning and M ended up losing half of the verse because when you overwrite tape, that's it, it's gone forever. And when M told the dude he made a mistake, all the dude said was, my bad, you wanna hit this? Maybe that explains why he made the mistake that I pointed out since he re-recorded it. Slim also said that the first take was much better. I can't even fathom Stan being a better version than what it is now. The album has two covers. The first one is the one with Eminem sitting on the porch of his childhood house, the Dresden home before it was burned to the ground and all that was left was his lawn. And the second one is Slim in a fetal position surrounded by alcohol and drugs. Quite frankly, I never liked that last one. The real one for me is the first one it will always be. The reason why is because the second one feels like Slim Shady and doesn't reflect the actual vibe of the album, which is a more serious and personal one. Both covers were shot by Jonathan Mannion, who did classic covers such as Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt and DMX Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. Now here's the fact you might not have known. You know that psychedelic picture in the album's booklet? Mannion actually pushed hard to try this to be the album cover, which was a picture of a street in Amsterdam. Which brings me to my next fact. At some point, Eminem considered naming the album Amsterdam. That's why Mannion pushed for that cover. Eminem wrote most of this album while on tour off the Slim Shady LP and in Amsterdam where he did a whole lot of drugs there. And it's always funny to think that in an alternate universe where Eminem fans are like, yo, the Eminem show is better than Amsterdam. What are you talking about? <laughs> next one. As you probably noticed, some lines are censored on the album, even on the explicit version. You have the line in I'm Back, I Take Seven Kid from Columbine and Send Them All In Line, where kids in Columbine are censored. Then in Marshall Mathers, you have this big pause, then you have the F word. If you ever wanted to know what he actually says, here's the live version of it. Which is the bitch, Mrs. Briggs and Ms. Mathers, it doesn't matter, your attorney Fred Gibson's a So the line is, your attorney Fred Gibson's a Fred Gibson was M's mom's lawyer as she was suing him and he's actually gay. Then in Kim, when he says, there's a four-year-old boy laying dead with a slit throat, both four and boy are censored. The reason why those lines are censored is because the label didn't want them on the album, even if there was a parental advisory sticker on it. They were too afraid of the backlash, and especially the lawsuit that, that could come from Fred Gibson, who could have sued them for defamation. And on the clean version, Kim is completely gone, and it's replaced by the very underrated The Kids where M shows his obsession with South Park once again by making a song about drugs telling kids not to do them. And I actually love this song, so underrated. Go check it out. Ronald Nelson, Ronnie, who Eminem has a tattoo of on his arm, is Eminem's uncle who killed himself with a shotgun to the face in 1992. He was the son of Eminem's grandmother, Betty. One thing M wanted to do for this album was to have an old tape of himself and Ronnie rapping as an homage to him because Ronnie introduced Eminem to rap. He first had the approval of his grandmother, but then she ended up changing her mind, and that's why we never heard the tape. When the Marshall Mathers LP2 was coming out, Complex asked 
30 artists which Eminem album was their favorite, and half of them said the Marshall Mathers LP. And a few notable artists who answered the Marshall Mathers LP as, as their favorite album were B.O.B., Absol, Danny Brown, Hobson, Chance the Rapper, Redman, Crooked Eye, Royce the Five Nine, Joe Button, Yellow Wolf, and the late prodigy of Mob Deep. This, this is my legacy, legacy. It's funny, The Eminem Show is my favorite album, but I don't consider it a classic on the same level as the Marshall Mathers LP. The Marshall Mathers LP is a groundbreaking album and probably inspired more people to rap and introduced more people to rap music. It's more original with storytelling tracks like Stan and Kim, and then you also have the flow on The Way I Am, which is unique as I mentioned. And if the Slim Shady LP cracked the door open for white rappers, this album blew the doors off its hinges, and by selling so many records, it created an even larger audience for hip-hop. This album captured a moment in time when rebellion and controversy were selling, and when you said something crazy, it didn't mean you were gonna get cancelled. This album is the fastest selling rap album of all time and broke many records. With 1.78 million sales in its first week, no, not streams, actual physical CDs, it broke Snoop's record for biggest week for a rapper, which was Doggy Style's 800,000 copies in 1993. But even crazier is that it had a better first week than Britney Spears' second album, Oops, I Did It Again, which was released a week before the Marshall Mathers LP3, and that album had sold 1.3 million copies. You need to understand, Britney was the biggest soul act at the time, so white or not, the idea that a rap album would sell more than Britney Spears' album was unthinkable. And the irony is that this album was the anti-pop, and yet was so more popular than anything else at the time. For years, Slim had the first week sale record for a solo artist, but then it was broken by Adele, speaking of Slim, with her album 25, released in 2015, which sold a ridiculous 3.38 million in its first week. That's nasty. The Marshall Mathers LP was certified diamond, meaning 10 million sales in the US. Today, it has over 11 million copies in the US and 23.3 million worldwide, and that means it makes it the 35th best-selling album of all time. That's insane. Although he's getting attacked left and right for his content, it is a critically acclaimed album. Rolling Stones ranked it number 244 on their 500 greatest album of all time list, and Time Magazine just included it in its 100 greatest album of all time. And it also won multiple awards. Although he doesn't give a damn about a Grammy, he won Best Rap Album and Best Rap Soul Performance for the Wrestling Shady LP. Plus, he was nominated for Album of the Year that year. The album also led to memorable live performances, like the one with Elton, but also the legendary performance at the 2000 MTV Music Awards. That's when he performed the Real Slim Shady LP with the 100 Slim Shady lookalike. M said that this performance made him feel like he made it in rap and that it helped people realize that he was here for real. It's one of the best rap performances at a show and definitely his coolest and also one of the gutsiest because as he was talking shit about Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears and Will Smith, they were all in attendance and he just walked past them. Moreover, it inspired John Cena's entrance at WrestleMania 25. But the legacy of this album is not all positive. As I mentioned, he wrote a lot of this album in Amsterdam, and because he rapped a lot about drugs on this album, he was offered drugs everywhere he went. In his autobiography, he kind of hints at the fact that he never really did drugs until he started to rap about them and started using pills more after this album. So unfortunately, the highest his reach led him to his lowest a couple years later. But on a brighter note, my final word on this album. This album is peak Eminem. It's the album that made me fall in love with his music. When I think of Eminem, I think of the energy of that album. This is a life-altering album in my mind. In an interview with Vulture, when asked how close he was to the peak of his capabilities, he said that he is forever chasing the Marshall Mathers LP. 
just like he said on Walk on Water. And before we close out, check out this clip of Eminem talking about his intentions and the purpose behind this album. Don't take it seriously. Do take it seriously. It's like the whole album is up and down like that. I made it like that on purpose. Just, you know what I'm saying? Just to get a rise out of people and, 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 and to make them think. You know, and make them make people become more consciously aware of whatever, you know. Get under people's skin. That's that, that's what I do. You know, that's that's me. That's Slim Shady. Nobody's killed anybody listening to my CD yet. Nobody's went and gay bashed anybody yet. So when they do, you know what I'm saying? Then holler at me. But until then, I think that, you know, like I said, the kids see it for what it's worth. They take it for what it's worth. You know, what is it worth? Nothing. <laughs> so that's it, folks. That was my celebration look back video on one of the greatest albums of all time. And I really enjoyed doing the research for this video because looking at all those old Eminem interviews really brought a lot of memories back to when I fall in love with this artist. And here's my top five songs. Stand, The Way I Am, Marshall Mathers, Criminal, and Criminal, I gotta say that the first verse, I mean, this song is just slim it's, it's Eminem and the way he changes his voice in the first verse from line to line to line is just an amazing verse and the fifth song I would have to say from time to time it changes so maybe the real Slim Shady maybe Kim maybe kill you or I'm back I don't know probably the real Slim Shady or Kim more but unless Eminem release a new verse that needs to be broken down my new video will be about Stan so until then Happy 20th anniversary of the Marshall Matters LP. Thanks, it's been real.